Just a solid conversation with my buddy Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. gentlemen welcome to episode number 71 this is jim huntsman the host of the western huntsman podcast and i'm coming at you from the broken time studio right here in hayden idaho i don't know how much longer we'll be in hayden idaho but uh as of right now we're still in hayden idaho who knows we might stay in hayden idaho uh you just never know but um i'll keep you posted on that uh Guys, this is going to be a really good episode, and this is going to be with Brian Lynn. He is with Sportsman's Alliance, and uh, we have a really good conversation. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute, but first I want to tell you this episode is brought to you by Hoffman Boots. Okay, you guys know, um, unless you're a brand new listener, I'm not I'm not a gear junkie. I'm not some of the, one of those guys that gets super excited about gears. I don't need to – or gears. <laughs> Gear. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you guys, one thing that I learned about doing this podcast is um, I didn't know that I stuttered and I didn't know that I mispronounce words a lot and I get super tongue tied all the time until I, I didn't know any of that until I started recording podcasts. <laughs> it's been really interesting. Um but uh, I think I think that I, I just get like too much to say and, and I try to talk too fast or something. So I appreciate you guys. I don't know why I have all, all you listeners out there that uh, support the show so much in, in ways that you do because, man, when I listen to this stuff back, it's like, what is wrong with me? Why did I say it like that? Why did I stutter so bad? Why did I, you know, anyway, that's my soap opera for today. Let's get back to our sponsor, um, Hoffman Boots. I was telling you guys that I'm not much of a gear junkie. Uh, and I'm really not. I'm not like you know. I've got friends like Guy uh, over at Western Contours. I you know we we get talking. He always gives me a hard time. I always give him a hard time. It's we we always have a really good time uh, in conversation and and uh, friendly banter back and forth. But he's a big time gear junkie, right? And he could tell you all the specifics about all this different gear. I'm not like that. But there is a few things that uh, I, I think are important. And and boots is going to be your number one thing. And where I'm not an expert in most gear items. I can tell you with confidence that I think that I am more of an expert when it comes to boots than anything else out there or anybody else out there. And here's why. It's not because I'm some badass hunter that likes to brag about how many miles he goes uh, on Instagram. No, it's it's not that at all. Uh, if you guys have listened to the show, you guys know I was in the Marines. And I was uh, com- to compound that, I was in the Marine Corps Infantry and if for those of you that don't know, our main way of uh, transportation, our, our main source is our feet. 
and it's a lot of walking. Marine infantrymen, the, the in the Marine Corps infantry, they like to walk. And it's not called a hike. It's not called walking. It's called a hump. And we hump a lot. And it's a lot of miles that uh, I, I can say uh, with with a complete you know, serious look on my face that I've, I have walked thousands of miles and it's because of my time in the Marine Corps and all the hunting I've done, you know, previously and since. So when I, when I say that boots are the most important thing that comes from a place of expertise, I wore my boots so thin in the Marine Corps on one particular deployment. By the time we got to Iraq, those boots that I was wearing, that was the third continent they'd been on. And this sole was so worn down, it was like just a, a you know a, a glorified pair of socks at that point. Uh, my feet were like leather on the bottom. I could I could walk barefoot across gravel without any problem. It just wasn't an issue. My feet, they, I mean, and it took like ten years. Like it was it was ten years after I got out of the service that my feet actually started having normal feeling back in the bottom and and like uh, you know they I could feel things again. Anyways, that's a long way of telling you. Um, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to boots, and that's why I'm a Hoffman boot fan. Um, you're not going to break the bank. You're you're going to get the uh, you know first class boot, the quality that you expect with great grip, great sole, great ankle support. They're waterproof. Uh, the the company is actually quite fantastic in terms of I know the owner Jim Hoffman. Um, you know on a personal level he's right here in North Idaho where I'm at. Guys, it's it's just a great product. So I can't say enough good things about this product. And if you guys um, if you want to take my advice and I'm not twisting your arm. This isn't a big sales pitch to you. If if you're not in the market or anything, just disregard this. But if you are in the market, consider Hoffman boots. And if you decide to go with a pair of Hoffman boots, I promise you won't regret it. And I could save you 10% by typing in the promo code Huntsman10 at checkout. Enough with that. Okay, guys, I, let's get back to this uh, discussion. I'm recording this a week prior to me um, actually releasing the episode. So if something major happens, uh, let me know. But there has been a lot happening lately uh, with, you know, legislative actions being introduced outside of the commission in the state of Idaho. Uh, there's and that's in regards to wolves and and uh, all sorts of different things that's, that's been going on. So anyways, if there's like big news that comes out and I don't bring it up, this is why, because I'll be on vacation next uh, next week with uh, with the family and kids and all that. So um, anyways, today's episode is with uh, Brian Lynn. And he is with Sportsman's Alliance, like I told you before. And uh, Brian has a long history and track record kind of within the the hunting industry. Um, he's been a writer. He's been an editor. He's been all these things. And we have a really good conversation. It's funny when we, we kind of linked up. I, I didn't know that uh, where where he lives and where I live, like we can we're, we're practically neighbors. He's just right across the Washington border from me. And because uh, I'm on the Idaho side, he's on the on the Washington side. So uh, we still ended up doing it remotely, um, but that that's okay because the conversation turned out really good. Uh, Brian knows a lot about uh, the the industry of the hunting community, if if that makes sense. And they, as the Sportsman's Alliance, for a lot of you that might not know, and and I'm not going to get too in, in depth with this because he talks about it a lot. He's a lot more eloquent than I am with this kind of stuff. Like I was saying, you know, I stutter a lot. Um, Brian knows a lot about this stuff. He, they pay attention to all the legislation nationwide going on, whether it's, it's anti-hunting, anti, you know, 
public land or whatever, but their, their big focus is on anti-hunting uh, legislation and movement and organizations and, and how they kind of all work together. It's a lot of what we talk about on, on this show in past episodes. And so this is a really important conversation. I was going to release this episode last week, uh, but my buddy Johnny um, over over at Soulful Hunter Podcast, if you guys follow the Soulful Hunter Podcast with Johnny Mack, he actually had Brian on too, and he released it last week. And so I'm like, you know what? I don't I don't want to spe- uh, step on Johnny's toes and and uh, you know have everybody listen to the same guest uh, in the same week or whatever. Um, I'm I held it to this week, and I think this is just one of those organizations that if you don't know a lot about them, the Sportsman's Alliance. You should get familiar with them and become a member and and just consider that because for many of you out there, you know, hunting season is one of those things where it's an actual season. Like for me, hunting is not a season. Hunting is is my way of life. And sometimes season is open and sometimes season is closed. But hunting does not end for me when season closes. So if if you're one of those folks that season, you know, hunting does close when season closes. That's okay. But keep in mind that we have a lot going on throughout the year that maybe not be at the front of mind for you um, because you're busy with work and kids and, you know, jobs and mortgages and, and all the responsibilities that comes along with being an adult. The Sportsman's Alliance is there for us when when we're not paying attention, and they do a lot of stuff that they don't get credit for, and this is one of those organizations that needs more attention brought to them, and and they 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 honestly they deserve it, and so that's why I feel like this conversation is important. It also ties nicely into what we're doing here at the Western Huntsman in terms of raising money for organizations that we're passionate about. For for quarter two of 2021, uh, uh, the, the proceeds that we're raising from sales on our website are going to Sportsman's Alliance. And so you're going to learn about that. And so there's there's a couple of ways you could do that. You can jump on the westernhuntsman.com. And if you go to the merchandise tab, there is a T-shirt that says um, it's got like a picture of a buck and it says don't buck with public land. Uh, and that's my little pun, run on, play on words, whatever. Some people like that. Some people don't. Uh, but if you like that T-shirt, it's a cool T-shirt. Um, get, grab you one of those T-shirts because a, a pretty big portion of those proceeds are actually going towards Sportsman's Alliance. Uh, and, and then uh, the the other way to do, do that is we have all the Tacticam products available on our website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Just go to the gear tab and uh, check out the gear there, and that's all that's all available. So we're taking revenue from that, and we're donating the profitable source. We're basically splitting the uh, the gross profit, and half of that's going to go towards Sportsman's Alliance. It's a big deal. So um, I, I appreciate that. If you guys if you guys want to help support us with that, uh, that's going to be something we're just going to continue to do. We're just going to raise money. You, you know, it's not like I don't do this for a living. This is not how I pay my bills uh, with this podcast. But any any revenue we generate, it is nice to kind of cover the cost of the podcast and then also help out organizations like Sportsman's Alliance uh, by donating that money to them. So that's that's kind of the goal. That's where we're at. I'm being totally upfront and honest with you guys as to how we're we're working that. So uh, please support us if you're in the mood. And with that, let's get into it. 
with a just a one heck of a human being. You guys are going to really like Brian. He's just a cool dude, and he's got a lot of experience. He's very uh, knowledgeable about the issues we talk about, and he, he has a way of simplifying some of the complicated matters so that you know guys like me can understand. And so that's important. Um, you'll really enjoy this episode. Let's get into it with Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance. Folks, this week I've got Brian Lynn with the Sportsman's Alliance coming on the show, and I'm really excited about this conversation because for me, uh, Sportsman's Alliance is one of those, I don't want to call it a sleeper organization because it's not, uh, but it's its one of those organizations that you don't hear a lot about, I, I guess, you know, in a sense like you would with some of the other organizations that are more centered around Habitat and stuff like this, but Sportsman's Alliance is right up my alley. And uh, you're going to find out why in this conversation. And Brian is the perfect guy to talk to. And uh, Brian, welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thank you very much. Happy to be here. You, uh, you're not very far from me. No, that, that was actually pretty funny to find out. <laughs> I, I know. We're, we set set this thing up and come to find out you're in Liberty Lake, Washington, which is, what, 40 minutes from my house, I think? I don't even think it's that far, is it? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm north out of Hayden, so it's it's uh, okay. It t- the the problem is is it takes me like 20 minutes to get to the freeway, and so oh, okay okay there, so yeah probably about 40 minutes. Then. I mean we're close enough to be hunting and fishing buddies though. I mean, maybe we should do that. <laughs> we we might have to set it up. So yeah. Well, cool, man. I am super excited about this. Um, why don't we kick this off? Give everybody kind of an idea of who you are. Uh, you've been all over the place within the hunting community, and I, I, I want people to kind of have a grasp on, on your background. Can we start with that? Yeah, yeah, sure, you betcha. Um, I've been in the industry for about, I guess it's 21 years now. Um, started off here in Washington. I was actually, you know, right out of college and looking for a job and was going to be a cop and doing the background checks and stuff and going through the process and was living over in Seattle with uh, – my girlfriend who became my wife and uh, needed a job. And there was literally an ad in the Seattle PI that said, do you like to hunt and fish? Can you write well? And I went to Eastern Washington University and had a degree in English. And so I was like, whoa, that sounds cool. And sent some of my writing and ended up getting hired as the editor for uh, Texas Fishing and Hunting News. Sweet. up and moved to Texas after all these good old boys started offering to take me hunting and fishing. I was like, heck yeah. So moved to Texas and did that for about a year. And then about then is when ESPN got into the outdoors business and bought Bassmaster and then launched a website. And so I was on the team that uh, launched ESPNoutdoors.com and ran Bassmaster.com. And so did all that in the great outdoor games when they did those things. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I ran the sporting dog section and the conservation section. So I got to work with all the pheasants forever, quail forever, uh, you know, quality deer management, NWTF, all these groups. Got to work with them on content and interviewing biologists and things like that. Did that for about six years and then got hired as a senior editor at Outdoor Life magazine. So up and left Texas and Oklahoma and moved over to the Big Apple and 
lived in Jersey and commuted into Manhattan every day for oh, two what, years or so. <laughs> what was that like? What was the, was that like a culture shock going from Texas and Oklahoma to New York city? Yeah. A culture shock would be the mild way to put it. It was, <laughs> it's another world, man. And, and it, that's what it felt like. It felt like living two different lives, you know, living out in the suburbs in central Jersey and taking the train in for an hour, hour and a half yeah, every crazy. day. And yeah. And then I was just, you know, I grew up in Ephrata, you know, Moses Lake area, the Columbia Basin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was sitting there one day, went out to lunch and was walking back to the office and I'm standing there on the corner and look up and, you know, we're two blocks from the Empire State Building. And I'm like, how in the hell did I get here from little right. old Efredo with three stoplights? <laughs> Gosh, that's crazy. That is crazy. That is quite yeah. a story. Um, so, and, yeah. and then, where, where, then what happened from there? Uh, from there, that was uh, about 2008 when the economy went down the crapper and publishing got slaughtered and I got laid off like everybody else. And I got off the East Coast as fast as possible. I don't blame and, you. Uh, yeah, came back home and uh, I've been back here, uh, yeah, about 2010, I guess. And uh, freelanced for several years, five, six years. And did a little bit of this and that TV and, you know, outdoors TV and freelance writing and anything I could. And uh, about six and a half, seven years ago, I hooked up with the Sportsman's Alliance and I've been there ever since. And what, running what is all your the marketing? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What like what's yeah. your title at the at Sportsman's Alliance? Yeah, I'm the vice president of marketing and communications. So. Pretty much touch everything in the organization. You know, we work very closely with the government affairs team to make sure the bills, the you know, what we're putting out on alerts makes sense. And if I have questions, I'll call them and, mm-hmm. you know, figure out uh, the best messaging there and making sure we're being accurate. You know, our fundraising guys and membership guys working on getting their stuff out there. So any of the marketing and communication stuff, uh, media quotes, things like podcasts or TV stuff. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, pretty much anything outward facing. Good deal. Well, that's awesome. And I just kind of to, to backtrack a little bit when you're growing up in, in Euphrata, Washington, uh, and just so the listeners know, you, you know, we're talking kind of central, central Washington, Columbia basin, um, you know, a really cool country, actually. Uh, I, yeah. I really enjoy it out there, but, um, were you, were you hunting and fishing growing up or how, how did that come about? Yeah, yeah, no, I grew up there, and it is pretty cool uh, little country. It is as I was growing up there, you know, you always think it sucks and you want to get out, yeah. but it's it's pretty neat. It's got a little bit of everything, and uh, yeah, my stepdad uh, got me hunting in I don't know, I was ten or eleven. I think I got my hunter's ed when I was twelve in nineteen eighty five or something like that, and uh, mostly did bird hunting. Uh-huh. upland bird and some duck and goose and stuff, waterfowl, and then went to college and did more uh, deer, deer hunting while well, continuing to do the others. And then just got more and more into it as I got into the, to the, uh, industry, but the dog stuff and the upland stuff has always kind of remained a, a favorite, you know, even though with deer and elk and everything else, uh, I enjoy the dog training and, and dog hunting, uh, sports activities of it all, just to work with the dog and that bond and, and the process you go through with that uh, yeah. the teamwork is always kind of been special for me. 
Good to know. Good to know, man. I I, I knew we were going to get along. That's that's <laughs> uh that's an old passion of mine too. Is is uh, upland game specifically pheasants with uh, yeah. and, and working the dog and um I I feel like the good old days of pheasant hunting and upland game are, are kind of in the in the past and I'm I'm hoping that changes. But uh, I I there's it's still really good in Washington. What's that county? Uh, Colfax, and it's it's just yeah. like. Yeah, down down in the Palouse there. Yep, yep, that's great pheasant hunting down there. And then back home, uh, yeah, in Grant County, mm-hmm. actually has a higher harvest rate there. So oh, it's they? good, but it's still. I mean, we this was my dog's first year, and uh, we put a lot of miles on looking for birds. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dog? Uh, a black lab. Black lab. All right, cool. I'm yeah. not the only lab guy when it when it comes to upland, huh? Everybody wants those uh, the German short hairs, which, short which are hairs, great dogs. Yeah. Yep, yep. So. Well, we're definitely gonna have to go chase some birds this year. We then. we might have to work <laughs> that out. I I yeah. have been not putting in enough time on my upland lately, and uh, it's kind of a bummer. So I I miss that a lot. I I actually grew up in an area that was. Uh, our ranch bordered a a pheasant hunting club, oh, and conveniently, nice. uh, these people that were paying to go hunt birds, they'd chase them all onto our property, and so we'd go out yeah. there and have a ball. I bet. <laughs> That's a pretty good setup. You're Not spoiled, deal, man. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, well, give us uh, give us kind of a, an overview of Sportsman's Alliance, uh, as if so, like, like let's say a listener has never heard of Sportsman's Alliance, which they must be living under a rock if that's the case. But um, give us give us kind of that that overview of, yeah. of Sportsman's Alliance and the mission. Yeah, we're we're a pretty small organization, but uh, and as you know, you kind of mentioned a lot of folks don't know who we are, even in the industry. But we've been around for about forty years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and our main mission and really our genesis is to protect hunting, fishing, and trapping from the anti-hunters, from the animal rights movement. Uh, started in Columbus, Ohio, back in 1976-77, they came in and tried to pass a ballot initiative to ban trapping. It's kind of one of those states where if they could uh, pass a ban on trapping through the ballot initiative – they thought they could take it to other states, mm-hmm. which they have done. But this was back in the 70s is when the uh, animal rights movement really started taking off here in America. And so a bunch of you know wildlife biologists, businessmen, sportsmen got together and was like, okay, we have to beat this thing. And they were successful and they beat it. And then they all went back to their day jobs. And the animal rights movement went to the neighboring states and started trying to do the same thing. And people started calling and saying, Hey, how did you beat them? What, what, what do we need to do? And they're like, they quickly realized that, Hey, there's a need here. And so they created what was called the wildlife legislative fund of America back then, which is today the sportsman's Alliance. And, uh, that's the main thing is we are an advocacy organization to protect and promote hunting, fishing, and trapping. We yeah. work in all 50 state legislatures, state and federal court, and at the ballot box. So it, as an organization, the the main focus is with the anti-hunting movement. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah, and the bills that are being introduced. It's not always the anti-hunting movement introducing them. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they'll have 
favorite politicians that will do that for them or they're working behind the scenes. So it's to counteract their presence and their political influence. Yeah. You know, we'll jump in and call them up be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we got a problem with this bill, you know, and start outlining it. Sometimes the politicians are just ignorant, thinking they were doing something good. And sometimes they're diehard animal rights activists and they don't care. One of the things that has always bothered me and and why I think something like Sportsman's Alliance is so important is what what you kind of alluded to explaining back in the beginning in the 1970s. You know, every we the, you, the alliance or the organization, so to speak, kind of got that bill killed and went back to their day jobs. But the anti-hunting, anti-trapping, uh, you know, the, those organizations, they don't just go back to their, their normal lives and, and just forget about it. They have they they're well organized, they're well funded, and they have full time lobbyists, full time attorneys, all these things that are taking place that are you know solely focused on on these issues. Where the hunting community, we we don't have a lot of that, with the exception of somebody or, or an organization like the Sportsman's Alliance, right? And you know I've talked about this because as we as I discussed before recording, uh, you know one of the fundamental ideas of my platform, the Western Huntsman, is uh, this this focus against anti, the anti-hunting movement and these organizations, you know, well, we don't have to name names yet. We, we can, but um, these organizations that are full-time activists against the hunting community, they're, they're full-time activists against hunting, trapping, fishing, all these things that, that uh, make up our lifestyle, and, and we don't have a lot of that fighting back i feel like we're we're outnumbered how do you feel about that is that is that i don't know how that's exactly right is it okay no and like you said well-funded huge organizations humane society united states that's yeah public enemy number one for us as for sure for sure everybody everybody calls out PETA all the time but not a lot is is, uh discussed about the humane society of the united states and and i agree they're public enemy number one yeah, no, uh, PETA is your shock value tabloid type stuff that gets crazy, crazy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Where they're the most dangerous is influencing the youth. There's an entire website, at least there used to be, uh, PETA 2, that was dedicated to middle school and high school kids on how to, and basically brainwashing them and how to stand up to your parents and how to become vegan and how to do this and write letters and protest and everything else. That's where they're the most dangerous. Oh, that drives me nuts. But, you know, groups like the Humane Society of the United States and there's others, Center for Biological Diversity and such. Mm -hmm. But HSUS is number one, largest anti-hunting organization in the world. Uh, $200 million uh, yearly budget. I mean, they can buy whatever they want, do whatever they want. So we're really outgunned. Mm-hmm. You know, outsized. Yeah. And, and they were the they were the ones behind the bear ban recently in California with Senator yep. Weiner out out there. Um, I always like to bring up his name just to be sarcastic <laughs> and obnoxious. <laughs> we'll get along great. <laughs> I I put so many emails and calls into his office. I got I got no responses. I just wanted to get him on the show. I wanted to, yeah. I wanted him to personally come on the show and explain. Why somebody in California, in San Francisco, San California, Francisco. with no bears, has any business meddling in wildlife management? I, I just wanted, I, but which kind of figures, you know, never got a response. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
yeah. We so anyways, getting back to that, what what you said, the the HSUS, um, and and the other one you mentioned, the Center for uh, Biological Diversity, that is another another big one, um, out there. And what what really gets me with these organizations, and and then I, I'd like to kind of circle back to Sportsman's Alliance after that, but is they're they're really good at marketing. They're really good at at, oh, I- at pulling these like highly emotional topics. Uh, going back to the bear ban. Uh, we need to stop trophy hunting in California. Our bears need us. And and how does that not play into the emotions of folks that are not hunters, are not experienced? They don't know the actual science and data behind what hunting is and and how these animals are harvested. And you know the the using terms like trophy hunting as if we're just going out to mm-hmm. kill a bear, right? Um, they're really good at that. How do we counter their marketing messages? When it comes to the average person that is not a, they're not necessarily anti-hunter, they're not necessarily pro-hunting. They're just kind of, they don't really have a thought, and and but they could be swayed either way. You know yeah, what I mean? That's that's the big topic right now, and the and the billion-dollar question. You know, it's one route gunned size and money-wise. I mean, HSUS HSUS has almost 600 employees. That's more than NASA. Yeah. That's you know? crazy. I didn't put it into that perspective. Yeah. So they have like six. So they we're outgunned like that. Uh, we're behind the eight ball just because how things are set up in that we have to play defense. Mm-hmm. They get to pick and choose what to go after and when to go after it. So they can have everything, all their ducks in a row and go after it just by the nature of this is already open they can try to shut it down. So we're already in a defensive position just of how the game is set up to scramble and try to protect everything. Mm. And then, as you said, from a messaging standpoint, it's compelling emotional messaging that really plays well with urban voters and those who are, for lack of a better term, ignorant about wildlife management, Pittman-Robertson dollars, and the history of North American wildlife conservation. And so it's a very tough nut to crack. And they have sound bites, like you said, trophy hunting. 80% of, of the country approves of hunting as a wildlife management tool. It drops to like 30% when you say trophy hunting. Yeah. Even though there's no such thing, there isn't a context. There's wanton waste laws here. And when you're talking Africa, Nothing gets wasted in Africa. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's a catch-all phrase that instantly turns the tide against us, and we have to overcome that. So they have these sound bites that work, and our story is very long, very detailed, historic, facts, figures, boring. People's eyes will glaze over. Yep. So it's tough. That's a challenge. That's a big-time challenge because you're right. In, in, in that light, somebody can make a really – profound point in a single tweet against hunting the same argument cannot be made for hunting in a single tweet and and the average american doesn't that that isn't in within the hunting community or active as a hunter or an outdoorsman or trapping they don't even know what the north american model of wildlife conservation is they've never even heard of it no beyond that beyond that most people don't remember a time when there wasn't abundant wildlife. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah, For a point. couple of generations now, wildlife has been abundant. They don't remember when there was a dearth of wildlife. So they don't know what has taken place historically. They're yeah. living in a vacuum. 
So what is what is the big focus over the last, let's say, you know, year or so for Sportsman's Alliance? Like, what what are you guys focusing on now, legislatively, or anything that like like listeners should know about? Holy cow! Well, let's see. <laughs> I, I don't know how our government affairs team does it. You know, there's two full time guys. There's a contract guy, and we have uh, lawyers on retainer that we work with. But those guys have their state net system set up where it's monitoring everything by keywords, pulls in thousands and thousands of bills that get introduced in all 50 state legislatures. You know, give it a quick read once over. Okay, this applies. This doesn't apply. They whittle it down to probably a thousand bills across all 50 states. And they'll look at the makeup of different congressional, you know, uh, platforms and go, okay, this probably isn't going anywhere. And they work it down to, I think right now they're actively monitoring 300 different bills and making calls on probably a good two thirds of those Mm. in letters. So you're talking hundreds of them. Like we put out alerts on our website and social media and stuff. But that's just the tip of the iceberg of what they're actually working on. Um, those are like, okay, we need to call now. Like we've been trying to be good in the back end and working sometimes, working with you and whatever, but it's not working now. So now it's time to mobilize. Um, but so they're they're working on everything. You know, like you said, the California bill to stop bear hunting. That was a big one that gets headlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. There's, as we know here in Washington, for the last year, one of the big pushes has been to end coyote contests. Yeah, coyote contests and in and, and the spring bear. There's a, there's there's talk of ending the spring bear hunt. Yeah, but the coyote contest is interesting. It started last year, and within that one little issue, you kind of get a synopsis. It's a microcosm of what the animal rights movement has planned. It started in New Mexico, specifically coyote contests on public land. And that got banned. It moved up from there, up to Oregon, up to Washington, up to Montana, over to Wisconsin, over to New York, New Jersey, then it came back to Nevada. But as it moved north and then east across the country, and it was the same language getting introduced, very similar, but they, it started to morph. It went from coyote contests to wildlife contests, any wildlife contest, anything involving a prize, anything involving entertainment. Would, would that include like a bass fishing tournament? The, the fishing tournaments for the time were usually classified differently. Okay. Or they're usually classified within uh, state game codes differently. So that was protected. Where it was catching things would be your field trials for dogs, because like in Oregon, in some places in the code, uh, wildlife is just ducks, pheasant, whatever, whether it's domestically raised and used or not. So it's left to interpretation. It would also end, oh, if you're a sportsman's club, say in Wisconsin, having a big buck contest. Yeah. yeah. It was to the point that it was you and I go out coyote hunting and we bet on it on who's going to get the most coyotes or who shoots the most greenheads out of the duck blind. That's two people engaged in a wager where there was a prize. But it even went further. It was just entertainment. So now anything's falling under it, right? You're, you're, how do you define entertainment? 
It's such and a it was even term. socially, yeah. Then it was even just promotion of an event. So you post on it on social media, and now you're guilty of it. By the time it wrapped all the way around the country and came back to the West, Nevada, it was carrying a felony penalty. Holy cow, man. That... So it was the same thing as manslaughter. It... So you, that's where the animal rights movement goes. It morphed such... from one thing to very broad to carrying a felony penalty, penalty, equating human life with animal life. It's such an easy thing to sell, too, from their end. You know, you can oh, you yeah. could so take, oh, they're having a coyote shooting competition. And, and then they take pictures of a bunch of dead coyotes as if they all were shot within a, on the same 100-acre farm uh, by 100 people that were out there just kind of like the Wild West. You know, they don't – it's it's so easy to leave out the details of what a coyote competition is. I mean, these, a lot of these guys are driving, like, hours from one oh, yeah. of the competition to the these are these are huge broad competitions people just don't understand them What would an episode of the Western Huntsman podcast be without me mentioning our sponsors that make this show possible guys check out Phelps Game Calls are probably our oldest sponsor and Phelps Game Calls is one of those companies that inspires me and inspires a lot of people because it started in a like a garage and now it's one of the leading call companies in the industry so I don't care if you're going out to call turkeys I don't care if you're going out to call in bears or coyotes or uh, obviously the number one mainstay of Phelps Game Calls bugling in the mighty wapiti that's right. That's my favorite game calls. For for me, I use the Renegade and the Maverick and the Phelps Pink Signature Call. I, I love all these calls, whether you're using diaphragms, you need bugle tubes, you need external calls. They have it all. They have deer calls. They're coming out with new stuff all the time. And Phelps game calls are all manufactured right here in the United States. Started by a really cool dude that's been on the show a few times. His name is Jason Phelps. It's one of those companies that you could just trust. You can count on. The gear, the, the products are great. They're American-made, and they're ready to go. Get on phelpsgamecalls.com and check out all the calls that are available. And don't forget to use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off of your Phelps Game Call order. Next, we got Scree Gear, another one of the OG sponsors of the Western Huntsman podcast. I, guys, I love Scree Gear. You got to check out Scree Gear. If you're, if you're running around the woods in some Walmart camo or something because you think that high-end technical hunting apparel is too expensive, you haven't been on the Scree Gear website. I love the hard scrabble pants. I love, you know what? They, they got these Bridger glassing mitts, and I'm telling you, they will change your life. I've got a pair of these. Uh, Bridger glassing mitts, and they're just freaking incredible. They kept me on the mountain this last winter a lot longer than I usually would because my hands are like one of the first things that goes cold when I'm sitting there just glassing up, uh, whether I'm wolf hunting or whatever. You gotta check out the Bridger glassing mitts. It's one. Of, it's like one of my favorite favorite things that they've got. And they're also coming out with a new camel pattern. It's it's available right now for pre-order, uh, but they've also got the other patterns still available. Jump on there. And check out Scree because this company backs up their stuff. It's got a lifetime warranty. It's also got the VIP sizing guarantee, which means if you order up a pair of pants or let's say you get the, the hard scrabble vest and it doesn't fit right, it comes with a pre-packaged uh, return slip that you just throw on the package and send it back and they send you the right size. You can't beat it. Guys, the price point of Scree 
uh, in comparison to the other high-end technical apparel that's available out there will blow your mind. Check it out. Screegear.com. Promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Tacticam is the final one on this list today. Folks, if you are interested in uh, or have done in, in the past filming your hunts, you've got to check out the Tacticam. I use the Tacticam 5.0. I've got a few of them, and I can control like two or three of them from my app. They're super cool to get those POV or just filming your hunt in general, which I highly recommend because you could really kind of coach yourself and learn some of the mistakes that maybe you're not paying attention to in the field when you're out there, especially like calling in that big bull. Get it on camera. Get it on film so you can go back and watch it. That's what I do, and it's made me a better hunter. And there's no better way to do that then with Tacticam. Tacticam has got all the attachments. You could do a head harness. You could do a flex clamp. You could attach it to your shoulder. You could uh, mount it to your weapon where that's legal in different states and different units. So make sure you're checking that and get all these different angles and film your hunt and put it, whether you want to put it on YouTube to get like, you know, put out the, the big time hunting content or you just want to keep it for yourself for memories. Tacticam has you covered. They've also got the Reveal Cell Cam, which I love. It'll send you pictures in real time and let you know what's going on, whether you're managing property uh, for like whitetails or whatever. I use it to kind of as, as security on my property. If I've got riffraff coming on the property, I'll know about it immediately. Also, if I have a grizzly bear wandering on the property, I know not to just send the kids out. Love that Reveal Cell Cam. You guys got to get you one of those. We're going to have some really cool giveaways coming up with Tacticam, so stay tuned for that because they also have other things like the film through scope. You can film right through the scope, whether you're target shooting or hunting. Get that shot in again. Check your state regulations, whether or not that's legal or not. Either way, go to Tacticamp.com. Check it out and stay tuned for some really kick-ass giveaways coming down the pike from Tacticam. Let's get back into it. Here we go. Um, yeah, well, and then we're on our, we, we can be on our, our own worst enemy. Yeah, you know, yeah. Create, that's posting what I want to talk videos about. of it, and that's what they jumped on. That's, you know, that's what spurred a lot of this was video taken in Oregon and taken in Maryland and taken other places, and they stream it together guys carrying coyotes and laughing and throwing and mm-hmm. whatever else. And then, you know, uh, they put sad music with it and everything else. And as you said, it's taken out of context. It, it looks like it's just an open slaughter that took place in one afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's just bad optics for us. And we're, that is one example of us doing it to ourselves. What do you think the biggest threat to hunters is? Uh, Urbanization. Urbanization. This all, this all eventually boils down to urban versus rural. The urban folks, by and large, aren't educated on wildlife management, conservation, that historic Pittman-Robertson dollars, all this stuff that makes up the model. They don't know anything about it. Wildlife just exists. They don't know about it. And they don't have to deal with the consequences and repercussions of a vote against it they they aren't you know the san francisco guy wiener (laughs) when when the bears go out of control and become too too many of them his constituents in downtown san francisco who are going to raves and and partying until 4 a.m don't have to deal with a bear walking down the street Mm -hmm. that's the people out on the you know the uh urban suburban 
uh, division there that have to deal with the bears that yeah. are out of control. Same as here in Washington, Stevens County ranchers have to deal with wolves and mountain lions and the folks in Seattle don't have to, it's not affecting them. It's not affecting them. So it's the, not, it's not so they have no skin in the game. Yeah. So, and then it's also an urban vote problem because they have the voting box. Yeah. that That's what's scary. They, I mean, yeah. If you if you look at that and break it down like to a you know a, a square mile, the amount of voters in an urban area per square mile versus you know the uh, somewhere like where I live, uh, we we live out of town, where we're technically not even within city limits where we live, you know, and um, there's three voters in a square mile where I live versus three thousand. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's, yeah. that's a and that's a huge problem, and and uh, I I want to go back and and kind of touch on. What you were talking about in terms of hunters doing it to ourselves and what we're doing to damage the image to be, because how I classify it is is there's three groups in America when we're talking on this subject. You've got the hunters, and that doesn't it doesn't matter if they were you know they've been hunters since they were in diapers or they're like adult onset hunters and and they're just into this this the, uh, the whole outdoors lifestyle. Um, you have the anti hunters. There's really not much we could do with them except fight. Right. We're not going to change yep. their mind is what I mean by that. Yep. And then we have the critical part, which is probably <clears throat> the largest portion of the population, which is that critical, whether urban or rural. Uh, these these folks that are on the fence with it, they don't they don't have they, they, it's not a daily thought for them. You know, they, they don't it's not a, it's not a conversation. And, and you, you had pointed out, you know, um, you hate to say the word ignorance, but I don't I don't look at the word ignorance is not necessarily a, a rude thing to say. It's not a, no. a derogatory term. It, it's I'm ignorant in a lot of things. Right. Uh, everybody has things that they're ignorant in. But but in those that population, that portion of the population, they're not really pro hunting. They're not really anti hunting. They, they very much are ignorant on the topic of, of that. But when somebody, and I've brought this up on my podcast, I, sorry guys, I, I know I've mentioned this many times, but you could tell this was months ago and I'm still pissed off about it. The the kids that shot the buck, that hung it in the garage gutted, upside down, poured beer into the cavity of the buck and had one of the mullet-wearing hillbillies get under it, chugging the, the bloody beer coming out of the deer's mouth. It was posted on Facebook. It had thousands of views. It, I, I think that um, I probably went pretty gray in the beard after that. <laughs> and and I'm a just a young, strapping, 40-year-old man, right? <laughs> and now I've got all this gray in my beard. But it's stuff like that. The the imagery, the optics, the how does that somebody that is in that group, that category that we're talking about, they're not pro hunting, they're not anti hunting. When they see a video like that, so disrespectful, and and showing all the blood and guts and this this bloody beer coming out of the, the mouth, and 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 these guys are just laughing and and they, man, what do people think when they post something like that? How does that affect the mission of Sportsman's Alliance when when you see stuff like that? Yeah, hugely. I mean, yeah, it's there's the whole ambassador side of things, and I'm not ever going to try to be the police. I'm not telling people not to post things. It kind of goes back to, you know, the Supreme Court ruling on uh, pornography. Mm -hmm. You know, the justice said, I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. You know, yeah, I don't have yeah. problems with grip and grins. I don't have problems with any of that. And I don't either. But when you get into pornography, 
almost of this stuff where it's disrespectful. You know, we're sitting here trying to protect hunting. We're trying to educate people on the North American model and why hunters care and why hunters have played such an integral role and why everybody else needs them. And then in one video, it can be undermined in just seconds. Mm-hmm. Remember uh, the video of those uh, those kids beating up that deer that, that was wounded? Um, and, and those kind of things. And, and how I want to portray that is I, I feel like about 95% and maybe I'm shooting a little high, 95% of hunters are pretty ethical and they've got that kind of stuff in yeah. mind. It's that 5% that's killing us. And, yeah. And, you know, and, and beyond that, how it impacts our mission is now this happened in Canada, so it doesn't really, we're not real active in Canada at all, but it's an example of what happens and it happens every day here in America is when the guy used a spear to kill the bear, I believe it was oh, yeah. uh, a couple of years ago, chucked the spear at him yeah. and went nuts and they went viral. Well, right after that, the province took away the use of spears mm-hmm. for animals, even yeah. though it's ethical and has been being used for, you know, millennia. Yep. A couple thousand They removed years. that. So that's what happens is the guys with the coyote contest showing these bad optics and videos and posting it. They take it and use it and use it against us to ban something. And now not only are we fighting to save something, we are fighting uphill against bad optics in somebody with a $200 million budget and an emotional message. Who have the easy ability to grab a hold of those videos and turn them into commercials for their cause. And yeah, that's and raise and, more money. And, and I, want, I want people to understand, too, for, for me, you know, I'll give you a great example. The, the nighttime Texas hog hunting thing. The, the thermal imaging, they're going out there and they're just, they're, they're blasting these, these, uh, wild hogs on, on the farms and, and whatnot. Um, they're, for me, I love watching those. I, I, I get a kick out of that, man. They're just overrun with these wild pigs and they're everywhere. And, and I like, I like seeing that. However, I always, when I do see it, I always cringe because I, I have, I have like this family friend. She was, uh, a, a mo- my mom's one of her best friends, right? And she is just not into hunting at all. She does not like it. Um, she, you know, on Facebook, you can you could do the mad face. When I post a hunting picture or something, she'll give me the mad face on it. <laughs> and, and I'll, you know, I've, I've known her my whole life. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to make her mad, but I want to talk about in your opinion, because you've been, you've been in the hunting industry for a long time and you, you, in your unique position now, I think are tuned into this exact issue a lot more than a lot of people are. Um, in your opinion, like what, what do you think is acceptable in terms of, because like you said, you're you're good with grip and grins, right? And you talked about at what point does it become what you were using the term pornography earlier? At what point does it become detrimental on social media for hunters? Yeah, I mean, that's tough, right? Like that gets back to the I don't know what it is. I can't define it, but mm-hmm. I know it when I see it type thing, the idea. And it's like that's hard to do. I think probably for most people, it's when the disrespect comes in. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the guys pouring the beer down, drinking it from the carcass. Uh, I don't know what the hell's going on right anymore, but there's some people like posing naked with turkeys or moose skulls or something. What the hell is wrong with people? You pose naked with your dick. What is that? Some weird fetish? Like, what? Yeah, I don't know. So, like, when it's 
if oh yeah i don't know it's tough because it's like can this be used against you i mean it's just a simple question to ask yourself like is this respectful could it be used against me if if here's i work with my old fraternity at eastern washington university you know and i've been mentoring them and been the chapter advisor for the last 10 years or so they're 18 to 22 year old kids mm-hmm. and they like to drink beer and they do a lot of stupid things because they're 18 to 22 year old kids <laughs> right we all did so i always tell them write tomorrow's headline what's tomorrow's headline going to say about this action or that action it's a great way this to idea you have what's tomorrow's headline yeah so like if you're even have to ask yourself is this a good idea to post or could this be taken out of context it probably can like if you if you have to sit there and and wonder if it's good or bad it's probably not good yeah you know or it probably can be used so write tomorrow's headline what's the absolutely worst thing that could be said about this photo or video and there's your answer it's interesting man i i love that take on it um you know consider it as a headline what what how would this play out would this be a negative or a positive headline how how would you react to yeah. it that's that's a great way to put it you know i yeah. what's the worst thing that could be said if you're sitting there smiling with the dead animal okay a lot of people are gonna be like okay he hunts i know people that hunt even if they're not hunters yeah yeah exactly Respectful, that, that's not, that's whatever not even if you're smiling not a big deal I'll give you're you doing something idea. stupid then yeah and and you know you are doing some something stupid even so i was 18 once believe it or not and um we we even had like electricity and stuff back then but uh when i was 18 i did really dumb stuff i, I all the way into my mid 20s did really stupid things and i'm actually thankful that there was no social media back then that i oh, could, yeah. you know what i mean so oh, I, kinda, yeah. I kind of feel bad for <laughs> you know, the 18 year olds of today that have to deal with social media and, and that stuff that just gets put out into the the interwaves there and uh, is always there. But um, you know, to your point, even when I did those stupid things, I knew they were dumb. I knew they were dumb. It was. It, it's not that it's it's a dumb. It makes you dumb to do dumb things at 18 years old. It means that you don't grasp quite yet the the overall consequences of of the bigger exactly. picture. You know what I mean? And yeah. so. Uh, like I, I, I was lucky enough to harvest a turkey last week. Um, I, I got him in the head and it made a mess of the head. And so when I posted the picture, I was pretty, I, I was pretty excited about this turkey. It's the first one I've like really called in like that and had them all fired up, you know, and, nice. um, it was, it was a great time, but I, I made sure that all the pictures did not have the head in it. And, and I think that that's important just because it, it really did. It made a mess and that would be yeah. bad optics. Are there other things that you see on a consistent basis that you'd want to, you'd want, like, you, you think to yourself, man, I wish I could tell this guy or this gal, um, you know, don't do it like that. Do it like this. Is there anything like that that you see on social media that people should be aware of? Yeah. I mean, some of the whole posing naked or doing, like, riding the animal, I, you know, it's let like. Let me stop you right there, Brian. I just Brian. don't get it. <laughs> what, what do you mean? I, I, so I, I've heard of the posing naked thing. I haven't seen any of that. Is that is that like a new thing? I guess, you know, uh, I don't know what it is. Like, I, I just don't get it. I've seen seen it out there, and I'm like, I don't get it. Like, I just seriously, again, one of my fraternity kids posted the turkeys. He went on a turkey hunt. Great photos, great photos, respectful photos, hunting, respectful with this. 
And then they were up in the Lake Roosevelt area and it was hot last week or two weeks ago, you know, and they jumped in the, in the lake and in their boxers or whatever and had a beer. And one of them held up the photo. So he's standing there in his boxers with a beer and a turkey and it was on social media. And I'm like, okay, I can finally ask somebody this. Yeah. I'm like, what's, what, what is this? What is this a new thing going on? Like, help me understand this, you know? And he, he took it down. He was like, well, we just jumped in the lake and happened to take a picture. It wasn't like a staged thing, but there's people out there staging them. Yeah. That, that's a, There's a difference between staging. I could see that. Um, yeah. And at least he had, and it goes back to, he's just not, he's at that age group where, you know, they're having yeah. fun. They're not thinking about the, the consequences or the overall imagery of this, but, um, you know, the, the naked thing bothers me, man. I, 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 I don't get that it. doesn't become a trend. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of is. They're, they've seen it and then, uh, people holding ducks in their mouths or uh, yeah, I, I don't know if some of the kissing thing is like back in the old days, you know, old days, I'm talking nineties, early two thousands, whatever. Jimmy Houston used to kiss the bass and sort of way. I don't know if it's an evolution of that hmm. or what, but you know, game in their mouth, holding it like, well, a retriever or something, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. biting it's, its head or what, I don't know. So just dumb things like that. Like, one, I don't understand. Two, why are you putting it out there? You know, what and a lot of it, I think, boils down to social media and getting attention and likes and up in your algorithm and yeah, influencer type people. So I agree with that completely. Know. What What do you say to the dude that is out there and he's you know posting tasteless pictures that that uh, you know are, are pretty negative imagery wise? Um, that says, well, I don't care. This is who I am. This I, I'm a hunter, and I don't care who's offended by it. You, you know, you get that kind of commentary. Yeah. What, what would you say to yeah. a guy like that? Uh, well, I mean, you, you can try to reason and ask him, like, what's the what's the benefit here? And it's like, oh, I'm not gonna be told what to do. And blah blah blah. And it's like, great, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's nothing to say with somebody that's gonna be unreasonable. So just go out there and try to be a better ambassador. Try to educate people within your sphere of influence so they have a positive image of hunting and hunters and can understand that messaging, you know, enough to when they hear something or see something, they go, I'm going to at least withhold this until I talk to a hunter that I know or I get more information. I, I wish there was just a better way to get through to to people like that because um, you know it's not like you could you could sit there and just have a reasonable conversation with them. You know, it, if you enjoy hunting, you should probably stop posting pictures like that. Well, I don't care. I, I do what I want. I you know I'm I'm so hard headed that it, it doesn't matter. I'm going to post this and I don't care who it offends. Yeah, it, great. And, you know. Yeah. And a lot of it, it depends on their motivations, yeah, too. Yeah. Some, I mean, some I are like, like just dumb. Some are looking for fame and controversy. Yeah, you run exactly into that. Right. You're exactly right. They're People get... looking for controversy to be persecuted so they can then become a martyr and get sponsorships or whatever, you know, stand with X, Y, Z person. Do that. Oh, no, we got to, you know, the, there's a lot of this fake martyrdom going on yeah you know yeah and i've had it happen you know the people have called us like hey these people need help and i'll call them up you know and it's has been in the news you know cnn and everything else african game and you know their kids or women or whatever being persecuted and i'm like 
well, tell me about this. How did how did these pictures get? Oh, well, they have a page, you know, and it's called this and that. And I'm like, so you guys put the put the pictures up, and you put them out there. So you're inviting this, but you're worried about your kids now. Like, it's pretty easy. Take the pictures down mm-hmm. and just be quiet. But yeah. no, it, a lot of them want the attention and want to try to capitalize on it. So there's a, a bunch of different motivations going on. Interesting. Yeah, this is. We could do a lot of podcasts about on this topic, man. We can keep going. <laughs> sure. I kind of. I want to circle back and make sure we're getting the message about Sportsman's Alliance out, and especially. I know I mentioned it in the intro, but uh, for for you guys listening. Uh, quarter two of 2021 is the um, we have we have Sportsman's Alliance as the designated uh, recipient of all of our public land T-shirts, um, the, the the revenue that we're donating for for the cause. So Sportsman's Alliance is our cause for for this quarter. And so if you guys have not gotten a T-shirt yet, jump on the WesternHuntsman.com, go to the merchandise tab, find the T-shirt that says Don't Buck with Public Land. And get you one because uh, that uh, you're going to get a cool T-shirt and the money goes to a great cause there. So, getting back to this great cause, uh, Brian, can we talk about some of the? Before we started recording, we we touched on the grizzly bear topic. I'd I'd really like to kind of investigate that one. What's going on with that? Where are we at with it? And uh, let's let's walk through that one for a minute. Yeah, so grizzly bears, we're, we're involved in that lawsuit. Uh, we're in there with SCI and Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and a bunch of for, others, too. For people that don't know, can you can you go over what the lawsuit is? Yeah, so uh, there was uh, grizzly bears in Yellowstone, and they were on the endangered species list. And, and they have now met every threshold for delisting. And what when did they meet those thresholds? Oh, it's been a couple of years now. Yeah. Uh, it's it's been several years. Um, 2014, I think, is when I, the original case came out. That's what's sticking out to me is 2014, um, 2015, but I, I don't know for sure. Yeah, I think I think it was. I can find it, but I think it was 2014 no when the first lawsuit was point, filed. Point being is, it's not like they just hit this thresh, threshold. No. Uh, you know, last month. Um, it's, no. It's been a long time. So okay. And it's a you know, and the and it's a conservative estimate. You know, everything with this biology and and conservation is we take the most conservative estimates of numbers mm-hmm. and move forward with that. So by some, there's twice as many. You know, by other accounts, you know, more liberal. Uh, estimations there's you know twice as many grizzly bears as we're saying and they're still at the most conservative level still a way above delisting thresholds hmm. and so they've you know are now expanding their range into montana idaho and wyoming and it's basically no management it's reactive management you've got a problem bear you got an attack you got depredations then they'll take care of it mm-hmm. so we're involved in that lawsuit that lawsuit very closely mirrors the lawsuit we've been involved in for 12 or 15 years, which is delisting the wolves in the Great Lakes, Great Great Lake states. Yep. Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin. The wolves there were never really completely extirpated. There's always been wolves. Now they're growing, 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 and there are a ton of wolves back there. And we've been trying to get them off the endangered species list for 10, 12 years now. 
And, so, and that's similar, we've delisted them three times. That's similar to you know the litigation that was going on when Idaho met the Wolf objective. Yeah. Um, and and it took you know it was about a decade. An act of, of Congress. Of, yeah, yeah, an act of Congress. It, it so. literally took an act of Congress. Mm-hmm. And we've delisted the Great Lakes wolves three times. And the Humane Society of the United States goes, finds an active judge, files an appeal in that circuit, and gets it stayed on technicalities. Yeah. It's it's not about populations anymore. Nobody's saying that they aren't they haven't reached that. Now it's what's the impact, both for grizzlies and wolves. If we remove these these uh populations, the distinct population segments, what is what they're called, distinct population segments. How and they their numbers start to drop. How does that impact other pop, distinct population segments in other parts of the country because of genetic diversity and needing them? Mm-hmm. So that's the argument. We lost the lost and won the last appeal uh, with with uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get this straight with the uh, <laughs> we we lost and won in that they were. Put back on the endangered species list, the wolves and the grizzly bears parallel this court case. But the courts ruled in our favor that Fish and Wildlife has the authority to list and delist distinct population segments. The, did, and, you, did you say the, the United States Fish and Wildlife? Just make yes. sure I heard you right. Okay, okay. Yes, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Humane Society of the United States argued that, nope, it's a one-way street. You can only list distinct population segments. You can't delist them. And the judge said no, disagreed with that. So that is a huge, huge piece for us. So now Fish and Wildlife, there's a path forward. Fish and Wildlife has to go through, cross the T's, dot the I's, and meet all the arguments or all the the hoops to jump through for delisting. For the Great Lake Wolves or the, the Grizzly Bears? Well, the wolves gets messy because then Trump delisted all the lower 48 state wolves. So they're delisted right now. Mm-hmm. But Humane Society, Center for Biological Diversity, and a bunch of others are suing. We're yeah. also named interveners in that case to try to keep that delisting um, viable. As that's going on concurrently, our case is still active and that path forward for both grizzlies and Great Lakes Wolves is going forward and Fish and Wildlife is working through the court mandated arguments that they have to meet. The issue will then become once they do that in a year or two years, they'll sue on something else. It's just red tape. Can I, uh, I, I want to ask you like kind of a, a weird question along those lines with, with somebody like the, the, the Humane Society of the United States or Center for Biological Diversity. Is there an economic factor for them by, Oh hell yeah. Uh, like, can you talk about what the economic factor is for them with, when it comes to these lawsuits and, and the, just their movement in general, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, well, they're cash cows. That's yeah. They're cash cows for them. They can raise so much money from the general public, from celebrities, again, the emotional messaging, iconic species, megafauna, whatever they call them, and show wolves and wolf pups and grizzlies and little cubs and everything. And it's a cash cow, huge cash cow. Plus, Center Biological Diversity likes to use the Equal Justice Act and then get their money back. 
and the taxpayers pay for that. So mm-hmm. they don't have any legal costs. <laughs> yeah. If they if they win a ruling, they have no legal costs. <clears throat> you know, the taxpayer actually pays for it. So it's a huge cash cow. It's a huge win. You know, they aren't they aren't arguing the science of delisting the red-footed salamander. Yeah, I know, right? Because it, it, it's not only when it's huntable species that get delisted. Because it's a That's lot easier to make a case and raise money when we're talking about a nice cuddly grizzly bear or or a, an amazing wolf and the way they portray them, and and it's so easy to to raise money that way. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, just to put it into perspective, the Humane Society of the United States, the CEO. The salary alone is 268386 268386 And so, uh, however, it looks like the overall compensation package is, is yeah. $4 million. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the salary is that, but there's a whole lot more behind Exactly. Everybody kind of focuses on the salary. That's, we're not talking about there. There's a lot of other ways that a CEO and anybody else within the organization can make money. And, and I want to say that from a, from a perspective is anybody who listens to this show, you guys know I am, I am a American capitalist and I am, I would never, um, disparage somebody for, for that kind of living that they can make within our no. a free society. Right. But this is interesting because of the nature of what this organization is, and they're they're supposedly a nonprofit, and uh, the, well, they're supposedly for cats and dogs in shelters. Everybody thinks yeah. they are an umbrella organization for every local humane society in the nation. They're not. They have absolutely nothing to do with it. Less than one percent of their funding goes to hands-on shelters. Where does their funding go? Do you know? Do you know how that breaks down in terms of yeah, I, besides I, the CEO? The, the numbers are out there. Uh, a lot of it goes right back into fundraising. Uh, a, a huge chunk of it goes back into fundraising. I can't remember the exact numbers. Huge chunk of it goes into fundraising, overhead, uh, and lawyers. That, that's you what know. I wanted to ask you, though, because they, they do have a lawyers lot of and the lawyers and lobbyists and all these things that uh, they have the, the money for. I'd, I'd be super curious to kind of compare something like the, the Humane Society of the United States, how their funding distributes to wildlife in terms of conservation, and, and oh, compare yeah. that number against the incredibly large number of the Pittman-Robertson. Yeah, you know oh, what I mean? It's 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 laughable. I've it, looked it into be, that. It'd be such an in-your-face number, yeah. Oh yeah, no, it, they have this. Uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Humane Society, Wildlife, something. It's basically where you can put your land into easements, and they promote on their site, you know, all 50 states and this and this and this. If you look at, I mean, there's some here around Spokane. It's literally like one acre. Mm-hmm. One acre that somebody has or three acres or 10 acres, you know, these little chunks of urban lands or suburban lands. I mean, they have a few bigger ones, but I mean, it's a pittance. Yeah. I mean, oh, serious pittance. We, you, you just compare it to Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or, or Ducks Unlimited, just one of those two organizations, and it doesn't even stack up. And it's not even close. Not even close. Not, you know? I mean, not yeah. even not even you can't. It's apples to oranges in terms of comparison, so that's that's always an interesting aspect of it because that money, like we like I've and I've I've been saying this for a long time. We as hunters, we need our own lobbyists. We need our own attorneys that are uh, the 
the way to get those is through funding and, and yeah. we, we just, we lack that part of it. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, you know, our big thing is we're not, I just had this conversation this weekend about turkey hunting with some guys, you know, sportsman's Alliance is not a conservation organization and there's a, there's some others out there. And sometimes their membership hammers them. I've seen them on Facebook, like, Oh, there's, they're not doing enough stream cleanups or mm-hmm. whatever. It's like, that's not our mission. Yeah. We're, we're not a conservation organization. I don't have a chunk of land I can hold up or a critter, an elk, a deer, turkey, duck. I don't have that. I, I, I can't do that. I'm not a conservation organization. What we are is an advocacy organization. What I have to hold up is a legal document. I'm basically, it's like buying insurance. Only you don't know you need the insurance until after you've lost your stuff. If we fail, when we lose, everybody loses. The industry loses. You lose time of field. Industry guys lose a customer because a season gets lost, gets taken away. Yep. A method of mean or something gets taken away. And is I keep winning. If we keep winning, y'all don't even know what's happening. I know. That's the, you know? That's the interesting Until part happens. with Sportsman's Alliance. Yeah, you know, you guys... You guys are, and that's as as we kind of wrap this up uh, on those lines. Can let's talk about how hunters, because how I've kind of described the Sportsman's Alliance is, you know, so the Sportsman's Alliance is is our first firewall. There, you, you guys are are kind of. It's hard to explain in a way that to because I, I don't want to like dumb it down, but you guys are the firewall. You, you guys are the ones that are that are paying attention to the nation uh, or the national legislative actions being taken against hunting you're not the rocky mountain elk foundation where you go restore habitat like you were saying or introduce elk into kentucky or the mule deer foundation you know all those kind of missions that that uh, you know uh, we all love right i mean I, yeah. I, I support those organizations for sure but your mission is specific and and more geared towards uh, legislative action that is anti-hunting and by nature and anti-trapping by nature um, and I think that that's an important distinction because we need both. We need both yes. organizations. We need the conservation groups for sure. That's what uh, one of the huge justifications for hunting is, is our conservation efforts. Exactly. And, and, uh, but, but we also need the organization that is focused on, on the mission that you guys have, and that's why it's important. So I want to ask – for for people listening to this, when they when they understand that and come to uh, the realization what how important Sportsman's Alliance is, how can they help? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, like you said, we're the if you look at our logo, it's kind of like a triangle, you know. As we're rebranding that, I'm like, we're the tip of the spear. We're the first ones in there. We're small, but we get penetration, and it's the weight of the industry and the weight of our members and hunters in general that are behind us that allow us to do this and do what we do. And eventually it all does come down to lobbying and lawyers because that's where it's going to be settled is in mm-hmm. the courts and in the legislatures. And that takes money. That's a huge, and, I, I want, I want to reiterate that point, Brian, it is lawyers and lobbyists that as, as sometimes that might make us cringe as hunters. <laughs> oh yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? We, we yeah. might cringe at that, but that is the reality. Okay. That's where it's all going to be settled. Yeah, that's where it will all be settled, you know. Um, And so the bigger voice we have, obviously, we're probably never going to be a $200 million organization, you know. But we're we're in the ring, lightweights punching with extreme heavyweights Mm -hmm. with HSUS. 
the more money we can raise, the more we can fight back, the more people who pick up the phone when we ask them to, to call, to call politicians, hammer them with emails. Calls work the best. Emails are easy to slide into a folder or not pay attention to. If you're calling them, they get sick and tired of it real quick. Ten people call, they get nervous. Yeah. And, if, and then they, they'll say to us, okay, call off the dogs. And then that's when we step on the neck. Nope. Keep calling. And then they're like, okay, okay, we'll, we'll negotiate. We'll do whatever. We'll kill it. Um, so the more people we have involved in helping us, the better, uh, you can become a member, you know, the entry level membership is 35 bucks a year. Yeah. Can we go through from there? Yeah. We've got, you've got the $35 sustaining membership and then you got the $50 protecting membership, advancing membership, sponsor membership. Oh, you can go way up here. Yeah, you can do. You know, we got individual memberships. We have club memberships. So if mm-hmm. your local club, sporting dog club, uh, rod and gun club wants to be a part of this, there's club memberships. There's, there's business, business partners. partnerships. Yep. You know, so we're talking everything from the big boys at Vista, Federal, Winchester, Browning, down to mom and pop shops can be a part of the business partnership. It's tax, tax deductible because we're a 501c3 and c4 and it's protecting your business interests so there's any number of ways you can join and become a member or donate uh youth programming we do have and so whatever floats your boat and however you want to get involved it's appreciated and will go to a good cause we have uh, great ratings and i think it's 86 percent or something like that goes yeah, to it, it was high. directly to programming yep it, it's know. high it's like way out of bat like if you compare if you compare that rating against most of the anti-hunting organizations in fact i i dare to say all of them it's not even comparable like it's, it's, yeah so this is this is great so guys listening um if if this is if this is your cup of tea um i recommend at least getting the 35 dollar sustaining membership in fact i'll I would venture to guess. I'll bet mine expired. I'll bet I, I need to renew. <laughs> so I better put my well, money. Get on her. I'm gonna do the. I, I think I'm gonna do the either the fifty or the hundred dollar membership. All uh, right, thank you. But if we if we can get uh, if we can get enough of these t-shirts sold, I can buy into the business partnership, right, by donation and there get my go. logo at the yeah. bottom of the website, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. All right, guys. Exactly. Go, go get you a membership and buy a t-shirt at uh on our website there and so we get because uh, i want to write a big check to you guys i'm pretty excited about it oh awesome We're gonna well, be, i like that too i'm excited too <laughs> t-shirts are tough to sell man so i don't i don't i'm not guaranteeing yeah. it's going to be a big check but uh however it's, all right. it's coming every so, dollar helps yeah for sure um, this, helps. Is, this is a great program you guys have the youth programs uh, there's all sorts of the if you jump on the website, guys, you can you can look it up all the, look up all the memberships, which they it spells it out. It's pretty pretty good deal. I mean, you get hats and stuff out of it. So, yeah. um, government affairs, uh, the foundation, uh, alliance events. There's a blog that's pretty good. Uh, do you write any on the blog there, Brian? Uh, yeah, that's something that I keep trying to get to. Uh, hopefully I am hiring somebody here pretty quick to help me out. Cause I keep getting sucked into social media <laughs> moderating things and I'm trying to edit things and the alerts working with everybody. Um, hopefully we can refresh that blog a little more. Yeah. I write all of our magazine content. That's part of the, uh, membership perk oh, and cool. you get to read my rantings on, different uh, features you know the next one's going to be on sporting dogs which is under attack pretty heavily nationwide 
Um, ah, so. man. Well, you just, you know, keep me posted as to, you know, any messaging I can help get out there or anything along those lines. I'd love to, I'm like you, man. I've got a blog on the website there and I, I don't, I don't think I've personally written an article since summer of last year on that yeah. thing. And so I'm way behind the, the, the curve here. No, it's easy to make them. It's easy to create them. It's hard to keep feeding them. So they become their own monsters sometimes. So much easier for me to just turn on a microphone and uh, it, do, it's, it doesn't come out as good. You know, I learned, I learned right away when I started podcasting uh, a little over a year ago that uh, I stutter and uh, I mispronounce words a lot. When I write, none of that happens. It's a lot no, more clear. No. You know, it's very oh, concise too. Very concise. Yep. Yep. For yeah. sure. Well, Brian, this has been a great conversation. I uh, I think that I would I would appreciate maybe if we could keep in touch and maybe do Definitely. this again later in the year, and um, especially if there's something big big news wise. I've been meaning to reach out to Sportsman's Alliance for a long time, uh, and I sent that email and I was just blown away that uh, you you were practically my neighbor here in the Northwest, and so that's yeah. pretty dang cool. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have to go throw a fly rod around or something here in the near future, but Definitely. Um, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, is there any closing thoughts, anything you want to leave the audience with before we, we cut this off? No, it's just, uh, you know, thank you for being good ambassadors and uh, any support you can give us is great. Uh, online at Sports Men's Alliance, M-E-N-S, sportsmensalliance.org. Yep. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, and the Instagram's pretty uh Pretty busy and entertaining at times. Yep, so uh, look us up there, and uh, you can see what's happening nationwide in different states. And sooner or later, those things that you see up there are going to come to your state. So mm-hmm. it's time to stop it in its tracks before it gets to your state. That that is a super important message that you just said there, um, and that's that's why we got so fired up here on my show in Idaho regarding the bear band because it starts there and it'll end up it seems like that that could never happen in Idaho but it can they've already tried they've already tried (laughs) and it can it can absolutely happen here so uh, now Brian great man I I, again I appreciate it Uh, I think you're a you're a wealth of information that a lot of people could benefit from hearing from so I appreciate you coming on the show Uh, this has been a great conversation You betcha. Thank you very much, and happy to come back anytime. Awesome. We'll keep in touch. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.